the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, I'm Jerry Boyer. Welcome to Meeting of Minds podcast. I'm talking today with one of my favorite um, public intellectuals, I think, really understates um, the matter. Scholars, economic scholars, uh, literature scholars, uh, historians, Deirdre McCloskey. Professor McCloskey, thank you so much for being with us. Well, I'm extremely glad to be here. Professor of economics, professor of communication, professor of English, emeriti, um, and uh, the author of a a marvelous set of books, best known probably for the Bourgeois Trilogy, I'm holding with me right now the, I could say a summary and maybe a more accessible version of that. Yeah. Called Leave Me Alone and I'll Make You Rich. With Art Carden. With Art Carden. Yeah. Another economics professor, as I recall. Yes, he is. And, and, and another economic historian like I am. How the bourgeois deal enriched the world. Um, all right. Well, let's start with this. this you, you've done, this is probably the work you're best known for. The whole bourgeois, the prudence and the equality right. and the dignity. And prudence itself is an important virtue. Yeah. Um, I'm not clear, what, actually, what got you started in that direction. What was the trigger? Well, I've, I, I've uh, in, in all my academic career, which was about British economic history, I found myself defending the, the business people in Britain from the claim that they had failed in the late 19th century because Germany and the United States developed, mm-hmm. which w- w- when you put it that way, you can see how strange the claim that they failed is. Um, so I, 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 and, and I, I started out a long time ago when I was a, a teenager as a Marxist. So I've gone from Marxism to uh, libertarianism and and beyond and uh, th- this was part of my progression but in the in the 1990s I started to think well I should r- r- write a book defending the ethics of what we usually call capitalism hmm. I don't like the word capitalism I'd rather call it innovism hmm. which is a scientifically more accurate word but in any case um, and then that that first volume, which was published in 1906, was called The Bourgeois Virtues, Ethics for an Age of uh, Commerce. And then I realized, as an economist, that my talk about the ethical change that had happened in Holland and then in England in the 17th and 18th century, in which people stopped stopped hating the bourgeoisie as much as they did before, the middle class, had resulted in the modern world. Hmm. I mean, you, you can call it the Enlightenment if you want, but I, I don't think it's really the Enlightenment that's the issue here. It's what Adam Smith, the blessed Adam Smith, would have said, did say, was liberalism. Hmm. The, the idea that, that, that hierarchies, the old hierarchies, should be dissolved, that, that women shouldn't be slaves to men, and, 
and slaves shouldn't be slaves to masters, and no one should be slaves to the state. And then I, I, you know, it took me a while. I didn't know before I started to write this that I was going to end up with 1,700 pages of evidence and argument from literature and philosophy and economics and blah, 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 baseball. I mean, it was just crazy. And the conclusion was that it's our, it's what made the modern world, what made us rich and made us not too bad, ethically speaking, was um, was freedom, liberalism. Hmm. Liberalism as a political order, but you also talk a lot about a cultural shift. Yes, indeed. Right, the bourgeois virtues. Well, indeed, and, and indeed, that, that's that's a crucial part of it because it's not so much, it's not Max Weber over again. Max Weber, a gr- great German sociologist and economist, hundred years ago, over a hundred made the argument that the Protestant ethic came to be uh, the source of modern, m- modern economic growth. And, and I, I think that's wrong, although it's the, the, his, his book, 1905, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism, is one of the great books of the modern world, and everyone should, should uh, uh, read it. But it wasn't a psychological change Inside the businessmen's head, mainly men, mm. it was the attitude of the rest of the society towards them that changed, and that's Cu- crucial. Cultural permission, exactly. if you will, exactly cultural permission, which, in all of our gradual liberations, is what matters. Mm. I mean, votes for 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 women mm-hmm. came as men, who were actually the ones who were going to vote for it, one way or the other, came to give cultural permission to women to enter the political sphere. And the same happened with earlier with slavery. Mm-hmm. The, the, the abolition movement was a turn in the attitude towards slavery, right. not attitude of the slaveholders, that's for sure, or even the slaves. So you have to have a Harriet Beecher Stowe before you can have an Abraham Lincoln. You that's have to have the cultural that's shift. Exactly right. right. As, as he as he said to her when when Lincoln said to her as he met her, here's the here. Oh, I've met the little woman who started this big war. That's what he said. Yes, and it's true that I, I've, I've I've more and more come to understand that it's ideas that run the world, more or less. Entirely, mm-hmm. we in economics tend to think, no, no, it's interest. Yes, max maximum utility. Maxim, I call him Max U in German. <laughs> Maximize utility subject to constraints, and that's okay. I mean, th- that's fine, but it's and it's a part of life. Right. You know, when you're when when you're buying stuff at the grocery store, you you you, you don't look for the most expensive item. You look for the best relative to the cause. Right. So we're all maximizers to some degree. But if we're only maximizers, we lack hope and faith and love and temperance and courage and justice. Greed is prudence only. Hmm. Prudence is a great and glorious (laughs) virtue. But charity, the greatest of these, exactly. is love. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. First yeah. uh, Corinthians right. um, 13. So, so 
this the this idea of the virtues shifting a bit. Hmm. It's not that they're entirely new virtues, right? Of the middle class, the the sort of so to speak, the subject of the virtues changes a bit. Mm-hmm. Instead of courage being all always about battlefields, it's also about enterprise. Yes. And in, instead of love being all about uh, uh, monasteries and and uh, sacrificing yourself on the cross, it's about the love that's necessary for any kind of successful enterprise. Hmm. If if an office and 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 anyone who's hearing this knows this, if an office or a group of other workers hate each other, doesn't work. <laughs> if they have not love. They are as sounding brass and yes. clanging cymbals. Clamming, cl- clanging cymbals. Yes. And it's so true. Yes. It's a, it's a profound truth. So we, we the, the, sort of the argument that came to be in the 18th century rather suddenly was the argument that the virtues matter for economic life. Mm-hmm. And economic life is not any different from... Well, it's 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 different from spiritual life. It's 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 uh, it, it's the profane and the sacred. Mm-hmm. But in all human lives, they interact. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 sacred, whether it's God or the Chicago Cubs <laughs> or art, is an answer to the question: So what? Whereas the. the the exercise of the profane virtues, such as prudence, mainly, mm-hmm. um, is is about means, about instrumentality. Sometimes they're called the pagan virtues they're, because they, well, even the pagans know them. And then there's the Christian virtues on top, right? right? That's right. In right. fact, in my in that first book that you mentioned in 2006, the bourgeois virtues, that's the framework I use. Mm-hmm. I didn't use utilitarianism of Jeremy Bentham or. Or the uh, uh, or or Kant, mm-hmm. the uh, the categorical, categorical imperative. imperative. Any of these little formulas that philosophers in the 18th century loved to make up. Mm-hmm. No, I use the the ancient um, and and universal idea that the smart way to talk about good and bad people is to start talking about their particular virtues. So it's it's an interesting word. It's a countercultural word. Um, I remember Bill Bennett told me once that the publisher wanted to name the book the book of values yeah yeah and he said no it's the book of virtues and you've also chosen virtues i have so um i think i understand the reason why but but i'm asking why why virtues rather than values well as as he said and and i kind of admire his book i don't think and he's he was a professional philosopher and he he should have done more Research, especially in theology, before he got going on this book. But in any case, the, my, my great guide here is St. Thomas Aquinas, who goes through, as you point out, the four um, uh, um, pagan, pagan virtues yeah. of courage, temperance, justice, and prudence, mm-hmm. to which is added by, by, by Christians faith, hope, and love. And it's a sort of a jury-rigged, Three, seven, four, four plus three. Mm-hmm. Oh well, it kind of goes together. Um, the the idea in the pagan word world that love would be a, a principle of virtue is loony. Right. That's what's so striking about Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, God is love, 
is utterly meaningless in in the pagan world. But you, you, it, it turns out that just values, you know, I value Fritos or something, is not enough. You've got to be specific. And that's why... But the, that's why Bennett insists on the word virtues, and I do too. And, and values has a certain whiff of relativism. You value well, one thing, I value another. Yeah, but virtue is good, yeah. and vice is bad. Yeah, that's right. Whereas values sets us up for an equivalence. Yeah, that's right. Although I'm, I'm more um, amiable about my friends in postmodernism. In some ways, I call myself a postmodernist because I do believe that values change i mean that's my whole point that that what the definition or as i said before the object of the virtue what you were doing when you had courage moved from battlefield courage to to commercial courage yes um so i'm i there was a change yes so a values change the values changed right. but but the virtues i would claim are pretty much universal. So would I. In the in the coyote tales of the Plains Indians, virtues are on display. Hmm. It's not; they're not exactly Christian virtues, but they're virtues. Um, in 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 Confucian thought, you find close parallels to what the people were talking about in, in the West in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Um, in 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 South Asia, the same thing. So, wherever you go, people, of course they value courage. Because the courage of the mother of a severely handicapped child to get out of bed every day and take care of her boy, that's courage. Hmm. Um, It's also a love surpassing understanding. And, And that's what we need to be talking about. We have libraries in all the languages of the world about these particular virtues. Yes. The stories we tell. My friend Wayne Booth, a great English professor at the University of Chicago, once started a, a chapter by saying, well, when you ask what the meaning of life is, one way to answer it is to, I don't know, give an analysis of life. But another way is to say, a child was born in Bethlehem. <laughs> and that gave meaning that to gives all meaning life. to all life. Yes. And, and to your own life. And so, there's, um, it's through stories. Who's, who said that? I have never Wayne heard. Booth is his name. He Wayne was a Booth. marvelous, um, humane man. He was raised as a Mormon, but f- fell away from the church. But it was a great professor of English. He 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 was he was the president of the, uh, the 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 big professional association for students of of, of literature. The I, modern language association. modern language association. Yeah. Um, I, it just sort of comes into my mind: a child was born in Bethlehem, and not Rome. Yeah, that's right. Not even Jerusalem. The Magi well, went that, that looking was, in Jerusalem. That was the whole point. Yes. That. that that a God who died, mm-hmm. a God who was a carpenter, mm-hmm. a God who was truly human, 
as the credo says. Mm-hmm. Um, damn, this damn is where. very weird. Yes. In in the pagan story. Right. Right. D- just a little aside. Um, you know Bethlehem. Yeah. I, one of, you, you know a little bit. I've about, never been there. I wish I'm going to go the next time I go to Israel. I, 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 I would love to go there. I haven't been there either. Bethlehem, House of Bread. Interesting, yeah, yeah. interesting Eucharistic overtones yeah, there. House of David. Um, House of David. That's right. It was known as the House of David. But you know, I was looking at. Uh, there's some interesting material in the rabbinical writings, the Midrash. Mm-hmm. Um, you're an economic historian, right? Yeah. And you know that there are economic bases. Like when you go to a particular region. I'm from Pittsburgh. The economic basis was manufacturing, sure. right? Okay. The economic base of Bethlehem, of Bethlehem, was it was set aside um, for shepherds, which is no surprise if you read the mm-hmm. nativity accounts. But shepherds were borderline unclean in rabbinical tradition, yeah, but, yeah. right? Because they might eat somebody else's grass. Right. But they set aside a place for the breeding of sheep for sacrifice in the temple. Oh, yeah. And that place is Bethlehem. Oh, really? Migdal Adair is the, um, is the actual, uh, there's a tower. So they'd be bred there, and then they'd be expected as they go um, through the tower. So the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, better, yeah. was born in a city oh, whose wonderful. industrial export I didn't know that. was the, the sac- sacrificial lambs for the that's temple. Terribly. Isn't that fascinating? That is There's fact. so much stuff yeah, in, in the. Sure. This is in the midrash, and I found yeah, it yeah. through Joseph Edersheim, a Victorian, almost unreadable Victorian Jewish convert to the Church of England. You know, f- love, fellow Anglican. I love Jewish scholarship, mm-hmm. and I've studied it. There's a Jewish um, debate tradition, which is so wonderful. The school of Shammai. Yes, the school of Hillel. Hillel. Yes, Hillel says this. Mm-hmm. Should, I mean, I just love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm an academic, of course I do. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I, I don't know if you'll agree with this um, because you have de-emphasized to some degree the influence of Christian ideas on the rise of human betterment. And I have. Um, uh, but, but in some ways, emphasize the structural changes of decentralization that come about through the nonconformist traditions. Yeah, but. There's a reasonable argument that the rediscovery of the Hebraic tradition by the um, the theologians in Holland yeah, yeah. after after rabbis had fled persecution yeah, yeah. that you get all these books. Eric Nelson from Harvard writes about this. Almost all these books have the same title, the Hebrew Republic, yeah, yeah. and they're arguing from Ju- from the Jewish scriptures for a decentralized order and private property. Well, that, that indeed was the founding constitution, so to speak, of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, right? which we shall build in Jerusalem in New England's green and pleasant land. Mm-hmm. And that was their idea. <laughs> and, they, and, and they talked about it all the time, as you say. But I, I'm, not, I'm not too enthusiastic about this attempt to Europeanize innovism. I mean... I, I, it happened in Europe. It happened in Holland first, and then in England. And and, and but it's it's not Max Weber. It's not the Protestant ethic, because it happens under Catholicism too in some parts. But it's not. It, liberalism is the key here. This this idea, as Adam Smith said, the obvious and simple system of natural liberty. Adam Smith, for his time, was was very egalitarian. Um, he didn't 
go so far as to say that, that women were equal to men, but, but all men were equal. As the uh, slave owner, owner of uh, Vir- Virginia said, and <laughs> the, the, it, it's um, that's the novelty, hmm. and it's really new. The uh, it was expressed very well in the late 18th century. No, sorry, late 19th century, but by, by, by an American man in these parts here in the West. Who was asked by a, We're in South Dakota, by the way, in a South conference. Dakota, yes. Was asked by a naive, probably Englishman, who is your master? Hmm. This was 1880 or something. And he said, he ain't been born yet. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about right. And that, that's very new. Yes. The, it was a terror um, in, in, the, in the political discussions before the English Civil War, hmm. the idea of masterless men. Hmm. Ooh, scary music. Right. You know, ooh, 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 ooh. Right. And, and there was supposed to be a hierarchy, the great chain of being from the queen to the family dog. By the way, God is spelled dog backwards. backwards yeah. <laughs> Got to remember that. That's quite important. Yes. And so there's a... We would like, you know, we, we white people would like it to be Europeans who, who did all this. And we've got the good case to be made that they did it in the 18th century, but they didn't do it because they were Europeans. I don't think I've understood until just now your, your kind of part of the motivation behind your view on this. It's avoiding a Eurocentrism. That's right. And, and it's not just that I'm a, I'm, I'm a lefty or something. I assure you I'm not, although I have been in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because it's so clear that other people besides Westerners can adopt a, a position of liberalism mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the old sense, not in the modern American sense, right. and succeed. Right. The old believers in, in Russia, mm-hmm. who are this extremely conservative sect in, in orthodoxy, yes. <laughs> they're... They're the great were the great entrepreneurs of 18th and 19th century uh, Russia, and when they go somewhere else, there are a bunch of them in Australia for some reason, mm-hmm. and they own a bunch. They're, they're a big deal. They're, they're sort of like Jews, yes, or, or, or Chinese, yes, overseas Chinese, overseas right. Chinese, or Huguenot were the same thing for a while. Ex- exactly. There's something Huguenot. about sort of strong religion, absolutely, um, and although it doesn't have to be, be the. The Chinese case shows it doesn't have to be religious, right? But any strong, strong identity, yes, uh, makes for it. Um, uh, Peter Berger, you know who I'm talking about. Peter Berger. I, 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 I'm sorry to say I didn't ever meet him. He died, I believe. He did. Yes. I'm sorry to that happened. I had the honor to have conversations like this with him, yeah. and he said, um, "The you know the perfect formula for wealth creation is a Confucian." culture yeah. in a non-Confucian nation. Yeah, well, that's, and that's why the overseas, right, because the Confucianism has a very negative view towards commerce, it does. but it has a high view of productivity and hard work and respect. Exactly. And so you just get Confucian people but, out of Confucian stultifying. That shows uh, how important this ideology is, right, right. how this ethical change, right. where we start changing, we, say Europeans or right. Chinese or whoever, right. start changing our attitude towards the bourgeoisie, the middle class, the merchants and manufacturers. Look, that's what happened in China after 1978. Mm-hmm. The Communist Party said, oh, well, whatever. 
we made a mistake about this central planning. Go do what you want. And Chinese national income increased from about $2 a day to $45 a day. What a, ma- what a miracle. It was a wonderful miracle. Right. If right. You, uh, going to China is stunning. Hmm. Um, that, that $45 a day is one-third of American national income per head, so mm-hmm. don't get too excited about mm-hmm. it. But on the other hand, it's a great improvement over $2 a day. Yes, yes. And it happened not because of some Chinese model, tyranny's good for you. Right, uh-uh. right. It was the absence of tyranny in mm. the economy, if not in the politics. I, I think Ron Coase argued that it happened almost by accident. There were some right. neglected places at the edge right. where the markets were allowed to function a little, and all of a sudden they were so dynamic That's right. that it, in some sense they'd almost lost control. Yes, I'm, I'm uh, fr- friend. I was friendly with Ronald Coase yeah. when he was my colleague at Chicago, not deeply friendly, but friendly and and admired his work. And then he and my other friend, the Chinese guy, di- did a book about mm-hmm. the, uh, the even out growth in China. What is the other guy's name? And I, I, I can't know, remember it either. I, I, uh, I know him better. So the, the software that you're talking about, yes, bourgeois software. software, that's a very good way to express it. It runs on every variety of human hardware. Yep, that's exactly right. And there's no... As far as we can tell, there's no genetics here. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, it's fairly clear that Ashkenazi Jews have an unusual ability for mathematics mm-hmm. and, and the violin. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. That may be, mm-hmm. but if they were crushed in the expression of this, it wouldn't come out. Right. And indeed, under, in the, under the old regime, I mean, the, the really old regime, before the, the Haskalah, before the enlightenment of Jews, th- it was crushed. Hmm. So although they were, they, were, they, 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 they were fiddlers, they were folk fiddlers, not classical musicians, and they weren't mathematicians at all. Hmm. So th- I'm not saying that people so, so are all a, the a, same. A, but genetic, saying, a genetic capacity is not, is not enough. It's not enough. Right. What you need is this... Social approval, as you, I think you put it earlier. Mm-hmm. Permission. I, yes, Picking for, up a word you're using. My word yeah. for, for, for li- liberalism is not equality of opportunity, mm-hmm. which is a mistaken idea. It's a big mistake. Right. It's equality of permission. Right. Let women work. Let, my mom couldn't get a bank account in her own name until late, until around 19, 1960. Hmm. Um, my, uh, you know, of course you, 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 you need permission. You need permission to braid hair for, for a living without having to get a license from the state. You need permission to start a business whenever you want. And permission isn't just legal permission. This is the idea of culture. In other words, right. there are a few people who, let's say you legalize something, but everybody hates you yeah, for yeah, doing it. Yeah. There are a few people who will do that thing, but very few people. Yeah, I completely agree. Right. It's, true in, it's true in intellectual life. Right. We talk about the left being intolerant of certain kinds of speech now. Well, I'm old enough to remember when the right was intolerant of certain kinds of speech in the McCarthy period. Yes. And it was more or less identical to what's happening now in academic life, mm-hmm. except from the other other politics. And so... Letting people talk, I, you know, I don't care what, uh, well, let's not go into that, but 
I want people to be able to converse. You can go into anything you want to as far as well, I'm concerned. Well, th- this afternoon I was very ashamed. I walked away from a conversation. I got so annoyed by the woman. And I'm, I'm, if I see her again, I'm going to apologize. Because walking away is not how we advance. Hmm. If we want to uh, advance as a civilization, we've got to listen to each other. As I, as I said the other day, God gave us one mouth and two ears for a reason. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Speaking of God, I'm reminded of a conversation that Jesus had with a rich young, oh, yes. rich, rich young ruler, right. often neglected in explic- economic explications of the taxes that he yeah, was yeah, yeah, a, a yeah. ruler. But that's not what I'm talking about at this moment. They have a conversation, but who walks away? The young man. Yeah, he, Jesus was not the walk away no, no, guy. He didn't walk away. He never and, walked. And away. we shouldn't be the walk away no, people. No, he's not. He said the the, the man the. Young men walked away sadly, I think it says in some translations, because Jesus had said, if you want to follow me, give all your wealth to the poor yes. and follow me. And he walked away sad because he had much, much katime, much landed property. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking about your worldview, right? There's the old conservative, the, you know, right. the Downton Abbey. That's right. right. The landed class. Blood and soil. Blood and soil. And... That's this that young man is a blood and soil. Indeed, right? He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's wealthy, but he's young. Yeah. There were no tech entrepreneurs, so if you're wealthy and young, you inherited it, yeah, and you yeah. inherit the seat on the Sanhedrin. Yeah, that's true. So Jesus was having this conflict, this dare I even say bourgeois conflict. Yeah, yeah. Um, with you know, couple kind of an up and coming revolutionary class on one side, and a a um, conservative, a Carlisle, um, sure. you know, blood and soil. Uh, Type uh, on the Carlyle other side, conservatives, right? Uh, the uh, Thomas Carlyle, early nineteenth-century English uh, essayist and writer, hmm. was in favor of slavery. Yes, this was in the middle of abolitionism, and uh, his friends, his his liberal economist friends, like John Stuart Mill, who was a friend of his, um, uh, that were in favor of abolishing slavery. Yes, slavery was abolished in the British Empire. And, 1833, and Carlyle took a dim view of that. He said, oh, it's, it's like the serfs in the Middle Ages. That was lovely, and they danced around the Maypole, and, and mm-hmm. slavery in the Caribbean is not so bad. Why are we so nasty about this? And then he, that's when we, he called economics or dismal science. Know, political economy the dismal science. Yes, as opposed to the gay science, which is the, the poetry. The gay science right. was poetry right. and dancing in the Maypole right. and all this lovely nationalism 
as you say, mm-hmm. blood and soil, um, uh, um, enthusiasm for who we are when we're born. Mm-hmm. And the whole liberal idea is that who you are when you're born is not the last deal. Mm-hmm. You're, if you have permission, right. you're, you're not, we're not all going to be Andrew Carnegie's or whoever. Or May, May West is my hero, but <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I, I she said I uh, I'm in favor of the institution of marriage, but I'm not ready for an institution. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, um, Carlyle argued that you can't have poets if you don't have slaves. That's right, right. exactly, and yeah. and you, you can kind of see the economics of what he's saying. Mm-hmm. He's saying that in order to have leisure. You've got to have slaves, but this, this, even then, that was extremely dubious. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Ro- Robert Burns, superbly talented and uh, most ways successful um, uh, poet, was a common um, Scottish farmer, farmer. Think, yeah, and and he and he died not because he was poor, but because of the disease environment, mm-hmm. alas. Hmm. So um, uh, that's fast, and I, I seem to remember Carlyle mentioning Exeter Hall when, yeah. he, when he with a dismal science, which yeah, yeah. so free trade, yeah. nonconformist religion, yeah. and s- slave abolition, and in, it's sort of in our modern political world. Yeah, there's I don't see that party. <laughs> I don't see the party that's well, all we, the humans are humans, and we're going to treat everybody with dignity. I wish we, that, that's what we need. We need to take the fractured Republican Party and make it into what H.L. Mencken, the great journalist of a century ago, said the United States needed, a party of liberty. Hmm. Uh, then, then it would be quite clear. The Democrats, I've, I was once a Democrat myself, and I was a socialist and everything, and, and I have many de- 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 Democratic friends. They can be the party of, uh, of socialism, of democratic socialism, as they call it. And then we could be, we liberals mm-hmm. could be the party of liberty. Mm-hmm. And then there would I be like a, that. Then there would be a real discussion. Mm-hmm. Is it better to treat people, you and me, as sad or bad children? That's the conservative version. That's the, the, the bad one is the conservative I version. See. And sad the is sad. The sad version is the left's version. Right. So either you're bad or you're sad. That's statism. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the usual left to right political spectrum. Mm-hmm. Or do you treat people as adults? Mm. Now that doesn't mean no charity and screw you. I'm rich. And right. You're poor. I don't care. That's not what it means. I'm a I'm a Christian mm-hmm. liberal. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge a. Uh, responsibility towards the poor mm-hmm. but my main responsibility is to make sure that the government or whoever doesn't put hooks and chairs in their way right right well, jude Winiski, the journalist said the republicans are the daddy party and the democrats are the mommy that's party that's exactly right? right and the answer is wait a minute we're already adults that's the point i'm i'm glad glad you reminded me of that there have been lots of analyses of this about the psychology of Democrats versus Republicans. And it always comes to the same idea, daddy and mommy. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm an adult, you're an adult, let's get treated like adults. And, and so I want to call 
what I value, liberalism in this in this 19th century sense. I want to call it adultism. Hmm. That we're not going to treat people as sad or bad children. Mm-hmm. We're going to treat them as adults. That means treating women as adults, right. which was the big issue in the coming of votes right. for, for women. Right. Oh, no, the poor dears need to be taken care of by the men. Right. Oh, the men. Well, he'll, he'll vote on her behalf. That's right. He'll that vote on, in her interest. Right. right. The right. men can represent her. Yes. Don't worry, dear. Mm-hmm. Your, your role is in the home. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And we got over that. And we started treating women as adults. Right. And we started treating blacks as adults. Right. Instead of darkies mm-hmm. playing the banjo around the old um, ca- cabin door. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it, adultism. Mm-hmm. Tre- 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 treating gays mm-hmm. yes. as respected adults. Right. That happened very quickly in the United States. Yes. I mean, uh, that, that changed very fast. The idea of gay marriage mm-hmm. was unheard of in that. And then, right, and, right. And, and it shows how fast these, what would you call them, these surrounding attitudes can change. Mm-hmm. See, look, I claim that what's wrong with Max Weber is oddly for a sociologist, he has a psychological theory of, of the middle class, mm-hmm. of the business world, mm-hmm. that the psychology changed mm-hmm. of the businessman. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think you can go to Rome and ancient China and mm-hmm. South Asia and find a... Or, look, think of the great re, re, religion mm-hmm. of Islam that came from a merchant of Mecca. Right. Come on. Right. So, so it's not the psychology. It's the sociology. sociology because sociology gives permission That's to it. psychology. Exactly. It allows you it to allows be you. who you are or it doesn't. Look, right. if, 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 if there's no such thing as baseball, mm-hmm. the unusual people who can hit a major league fastball, we wouldn't know about them. <laughs> right, right. Babe Ruth right. would have been a, a filling station attendant. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but now we know. Be, be, and that's, of course, the great enrichment. I actually call it the great enrichment of the modern world that results in this tremendous variety of ways in which we can show our gifts. Think again of Corinthians 12, mm-hmm. in which St. Paul talks about the gifts. Some have the gifts of prophecy. Some yes. have the gifts of tongue. Right. Some have the gifts interpretation, of this, give right. that, yes. have interpretation. Right. And it's a, it's an it's an economic argument. It is, isn't <laughs> it's it? It's an argument for the the diversity of roles in which we can choose. It's not that we're born with it necessarily, but well, actually, Babe Ruth is born with this great skill. But it wouldn't have come up if there was no such thing as baseball. Yeah, it's division of labor. It's division of labor. And I'm sort of reminded we're quite near to Deadwood, um, and there's a historical figure there, the preacher in Deadwood. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and there's a TV series about it. I don't know if you've seen it. And I've not been able to watch it because it's so profane. It is. They, they, they use the F word so every much. other sentence. Yes. I really got a little tired. Yeah, it is, uh, I, and I don't know what to do. And um, I mean, you can skip the pornographic <laughs> I, I, stuff, I, I, but you I'm can't skip the bad language. I've told my friends who do this that, that it's very good drama, and I'm prepared to admit that, but and well, there's there's a preacher character, oh, yeah. um, and he's historically based, and he keeps preaching on Corinthians. The body needs the hand. If the hand says, exactly. I have no need of the foot. That's a very old metaphor. Hmm. You find it in Shakespeare. Of course, that's rather late. Hmm. 
in his play um, Coriolanus, hmm. where the aristocrat is trying to calm down this mob of plebes. Oh yes, and he says, yes. You people are you are the great toe. We're the, I'm the mouth. I'm the mouth and the brain. You're the great toe. And they were really annoyed by this guy mm-hmm. calling them great toes. He makes an argument, an actual argument for trickle down economics, he not does. genuine growth, but you know, we'll we'll eat, and then the food, uh, the mouth eats the food, and then yeah, it g- right. eventually that's gets right. to the, the toe. Same. Neither trickle down or trickle up makes any sense as economics. Right. Right. And uh, there's a lot of kind of folk Keynesianism Mm -hmm. in the minds of most politicians and journalists Mm -hmm. that is either trickle down or trickle up and that's not really how an economy works. It's interesting. Coriolanus really kind of fits with your idea of adultism because it's a major theme of the yeah. poem. He makes bad decisions, and his mother says, "You're a boy." Yeah, Keeps right. saying you're, you're insulting him as a boy because he's point. making these. I hasn't, ha, haven't thought about that, but being a Roman man and Shakespeare, if it was Shakespeare, maybe the Earl of Oxford, understood very well that being a man in uh, in the Roman Republic meant taking on these roles. And he fails to. He doesn't yeah, grow up. I know. He won't right? do it. I, I, I wonder, um, given what you're saying about adulthood and adultism, right? Yeah. If we aren't adults. Not adultery. No, that's different. Not the seventh commandment. That's, that's almost the opposite. <laughs> it is. Of, of, it is. Because it, it, there's restraint issues, self-restraint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, will, to the degree that we're the, the government infantilizes us, yeah. but to the degree that the culture infantilizes us, does that back and forth an adult supervisory government, um, whether, well, whether it's, that, it's a bad idea, that, but... No, no, but that, that's, that's absolutely crucial. It's the artists, particularly the popular artists, who run our politics without us even knowing it. It's not their fault. They right. don't intend to. There's not some big conspiracy, but... But if country music, for example, is all about how mean the boss is and I wish the government would help me, mm-hmm. that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But if country music, as some of it is, is I don't care a damn, I'm going to move to another job, mm-hmm. then it comes out a completely different way. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, I was a folky and saying, I know more socialist songs than my socialist friends. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I knew... Knew Woody Guthrie's songs and mm-hmm. Joe Hill and all that, but that's a that that's a musical genre of whining, yes, of complaint, right. And what we need is art, right. That not emphasize. my wife left, so I lost my job, my dog that's died, right. right. That's right. Someone said you played played the Play music back, backwards. You, all get back. you get your dog resurrects and your and your, your wife girlfriend. comes back. To you. Absolutely, this is play a country music back. You country music, you'll see it works. But the um, there are art, there are artistic expressions of this adultism. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, there's a movie of about eight years ago called Joy. Ah, yes, Joy Mangano. Yes, and the. Who the inventor of the self-squeezing mop, mm-hmm. who was a very successful in business, and then about the same time, the founder, yes, with Michael Keaton, Keenan Keaton, Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, yes, about McDonald's, mm-hmm. and those were both expressions of what really makes 
innovism work. Mm-hmm. Um, is people with courage, justice, temperance, love, hope, faith. I'm actually going to do a, a paper for an academic conference of theologians hmm. that's meeting in, in Belgium, in Leuven, um, in November um, for the Oxford Book of Hope. Interesting. And it's, it's mainly theologians, I said. But I'm to, my assignment is to connect the theological virtue of hope with, with the business world. Hmm. And it's rather obvious right. that it does connect. Oh, entrepreneurship is hope. The things unseen. That's what it's all Same about. thing our friend Vernon Smith wrote about. Exactly. You know, Hebrews 11.1. I heard Vernon the other day. I, mm. I heard an interview of Vernon. That, that's what he said. He said uh, uh, exactly Hebrews. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Substance of things not seen. That's entre- entrepreneurship seen. is substance of, of things not is. seen, right? Of course it is. Right, right. So speaking of Vernon Smith, your, your newer book is bettering humanomics. Yes, it is. So it has two of your things, right? That the bettering, betterment thing, yeah, yeah. right? And That's also right. the humanomics, which is That's something right. that you write about and he's written about. Yeah, he has. Can you tell us a little bit? I mean, it's all, there's a lot of overlap between that and your history books, but yeah. this is more rethinking economic theory rather than telling a historical story. It is. Yeah. It's about the, the state of economics. I've written before on the state of economics. I had kind of a trilogy. I didn't intend it to be, but it ended up being one. Back in the 80s and uh, early 90s, um, where I, I said economists used metaphors in one book, economists used stories in, uh, in a second book, and then in a third book, I, I, I undertook to talk about the philosophy of all the people who were outraged by me saying that economists were like poets and novelists. They just couldn't stand it. Um, so th- that was a trilogy. But this is a new, what what's it's called? A, a do not a duopoly, a do a, a duology of two books. One is called Bettering Economics from the University of Chicago. Maybe a Press. duology. How does a duology, that? Duology. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah. And it it and then there is a second book coming out in the fall, um, which is a, a more critical. You might say angry book, attacking some of the worst tendencies in modern economics. But this first one is meant to be sweet talk hmm. and meant to kind of nicely present humanomics. As I call it, the subtitle says, a new and old way of doing economics. You talk about sweet talk a lot in the book. I do. It's an it's a important theme. Can you explain what that means? All, all it means is persuasion. Yeah. Look, there are only two ways we can get people to do what we want. You can hold a gun to their head. Or you can persuade them. Yes. There's no middle ground. There's no third thing. Lots of people think there is. That you prove something mathematically, that's different from persuasion. No, it's not. Hmm. If you know anything about the history of mathematics, you know that that's completely false. Right. That mathematics is an exercise in persuasion. Yes. That doesn't make it relativistic or, hey, man, how do you feel about uh, the the prime number theorem mm-hmm. today no right. it makes it a human science science right. in the broad sense of si- systematic knowledge and we <laughs> we do persuasion all the time in marriages in in conversations with friends or enemies mm-hmm. or in politics and the grocery i mean we, we 
all day long were immersed in, in sweet talk, mm-hmm. persuasion. I, I, the, the, the word sweet in English and in Germanic languages is, is cognate, is a cousin of the word in Latin suadio, which means I persuade. Hmm. And persuadio means I thoroughly, thoroughly persuade. Per, through. Through. Yeah. I thoroughly persuade. Right, right. And, uh, but that's quite different from the other Latin word we often use for this, convince. Vinco. Convince is from vinco. De- conquer. Defeat. Yes. And I'm pers- for suadio, not vinco. Well, I was, I was having a conversation with uh, N.T. Wright. I don't know if you're familiar with a very, very influential New Testament scholar. Um, and he's talking about apologetics. Yeah. And he's basically come to the conclusion that a lot of Christian apologetics is essentially something like imperialism, that we're just going to just like carpet bomb the atheists, yeah, yeah. you know, with our five ways arguments and all the rest of it. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, when that's that's not why they're atheists in the first place, no. right? So you can't you can't convince them, but maybe no. you can persuade them. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Although I I, I know some of the new atheists. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at a conference some years ago called Enlightenment 2.0. And their idea was that we're really enlightened, we atheists. We're the brights. We're the brights, exactly. That's what they say. And, and as though John Polkinghorne <laughs> Isn't bright. was not bright. He was the <laughs> professor of theoretical physics at Cambridge mm-hmm. or, uh, uh, or, or uh, Francis Collins. And, and a priest in our yeah, a fellow was, Anglican was, communion he, priest with he us. He was a priest in, yes. the, in the Anglican Church. Uh, became after he, he, he stopped being a, a physicist. Mm-hmm. And as though Newton, although he was a Unitarian, he was a, a believer. Come on, don't be silly. Right. It's not the Brights. But I, I, I was at this conference, and it turned out that I was the only believer there, the only Christian. Mm. And about halfway through the conference, after I've heard these people going on about how the Enlightenment means getting away from this stupid idea of God and religion and all that crap. I stood up and said, you know, um, consider the possibility, I didn't say it the way Cromwell did, Con- consider in the bowels of Christ, in the bowels of Christ yes. to the Scottish presbyters before invading Scotland that you may be mistaken. <laughs> and they were as, as, as though I had taken off my pants mm-hmm. in public. Mm-hmm. They were just shocked. Mm-hmm. That, oh, and I was at a conference. I think so, you write about that in um, the Bettering Humanomics, right? That's in there, yes. I do. Yeah. I, I think maybe I have also have a story there of being at a small conference of biologists and a couple of economists in, in Vienna. Mm-hmm. And it, these, this was about evolution. And, of course— You write about that. Yeah. 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 And then most sort of untutored— intellectuals who believe they don't believe. Hmm. They think that Christianity is Jerry Falwell in opposition to evolution. Mm -hmm. And my host, I came out that I was a Christian. Mm -hmm. And my host said, she was just astounded. (laughs) How can you be at a conference on evolution and be a Christian? (laughs) Thank you, Jerry Falwell. (laughs) 
Uh, so you're you're working on your next book, which is God in Mammon. Yes, it is. Is it premature to uh, for to talk about no, about that? No, or I, 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 I love talking or, about or it. Or do we want to? No, no. It's okay. a, it's a it's a book that I've been in a way I've been working on for a long time for for twenty years. Um, it it's it says the rather obvious thing that that God and business or Christianity and business don't need to be enemies. Mm-hmm. Whereas an awful lot of public theology in the last century has assumed they are enemies. Yes. And I say, now, come on. No. You can be a Christian and a businessman. Mm-hmm. In 14th century <laughs> Florence, the, these were business people, but they were Christians. I'm yes. telling you, they were. Right. And they didn't all end up in some in Dante's Inferno. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's an attempt to get what's known in the trade as public theology, mm-hmm. the social side of theology, mm-hmm. um, to recognize economics and so on. I have acquaintances, I wouldn't call them friends, in the Catholic Church who are... Um, econ- economists and they do Catholic social teaching. I see. And I, I find their arguments very irritating and unpersuasive mm-hmm. because they don't really understand the economy. They, these are econ- professional economists, professors of economics. Yet they, they believe that the core commitment of Christianity must be give away all your goods and follow me. Hmm. And it doesn't have to be. It's terrible exegesis. It is, because parable after parable in, 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 the, uh, in the synoptic uh, uh, Gospels, mm-hmm. let's leave out John, are about prudence. Yes. The, if, the, if, the, uh, if the tree, which will not yield figs, I think it was. It was figs. was figs. Let if, it be cursed. If, if, it, if it doesn't yield, turn it, cut it down. Cut it down, right. Feed it to the fire. Yes. And, and all the parables are pointing up to, to, to heaven and God. I understand that. I'm not making kind of vulgar point that Jesus was a salesman or, mm-hmm. or, or a car salesman or something. Mm-hmm. But I am making the point that Jesus lived in the world. Right. He, he, um, he was beyond the world. Mm-hmm. But the whole core of Christian, Christian thought is that he did live in the world. Right. There's, by the way, there's a wonderful book by Norman Mailer, of all people, hmm. called The Gospel According to the Sun. Hmm. It's a short little thing about size as one of the Gospels, <laughs> where this Jew, this uh, Norman Mailer, a secular Jew, it mm-hmm. must be said, mm-hmm. imagines what it was like to be Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the key point he makes is that Jesus couldn't know that he was God. Hmm. He could suspect it and believe it, maybe. But if he knew it, he'd say, oh, well, who cares? I'll go up on the cross, Mm -hmm. put me up there, put some nails in my hands, I Mm -hmm. don't care, Mm -hmm. because I'm going to ascend to heaven. Mm -hmm. So there's this kind of doubt that Mailer brings in, which I think is is intelligent. Yes, it's it's an interesting point. 
tease out some other things that he was fully God and fully, you know, yep. fully human, um, homo factumest, right? He f- made right. man. That's he was right. made Although, man. Oh boy, they, that took centuries to get clear. Right. People kept arguing about it. It seems so. like the liberals want to talk about the humanity and the conservatives want to talk about the divinity and, and right. deny the humanity. That's right. So something like Mailer would be like traumatizing. I mean, the scriptures say that he grew in wisdom and knowledge and in favor with That's God right. and man. That's right. Right. So the inc- he, the human nature had development to do. You know. Yeah, yeah. Betterment to do. That's right. That's yeah. right. And and I think that's the that's the profound me, me, me message that I'm trying to get. Well, whether my message is profound or not, I don't know. But but the what, what I'm trying to say in this book, uh, this this um, God and Mammon book, mm-hmm. is that the f- the flourishing of liberated people in the image of God. Yes is a result of both God and mammon brought together. Mm-hmm. That you can't, you know, there's a spiritual life to be had out in the uh, e- e- Egyptian uh, desert in a hut. I've read St. Anthony, and mm-hmm. I know something about that a little bit. Okay, I, I get it. And there's a kind of extreme, I don't believe in God, I just make money. Mm-hmm version of mammon. Mm-hmm. But I think most people want a life that's meaningful. Mm-hmm. But they want a life that uses God's gifts. It's, it's quite... There's, if, you, if you go up in a stell and sit there for, sit there for, for 20 years... Go up where? A stell, a, stel. a, a, a uh, column. I see, right? yes. Oh, like the steelite, right. like Simon Steelites. Exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's who you're referring to, yeah. That's right. right. If, you, if you go up in there and sit there, well, okay, I, I see it's a great spiritual sacrifice and blah, blah, blah. But wouldn't it be better if you came down and, you know, made dinner? Uh, Rather than having someone make dinner and send it up, exactly. and then 12 hours later dinner comes back down in a bucket that someone exactly. has to, I mean, you're not helping exactly. anybody. Exchange. Not helping anybody. Right. So they're, they're the, the ascetic tradition, mm-hmm. uh, which is in extreme cases in, in, in South Asia and in, in, in Christianity as well, mm-hmm. it's, it's glorious in many ways. But there's a kind of spiritual pride in it that... that, that Worries me. I I, I I did a paper on humility for the Anglican Theological Review, and talked about Saint Catherine, mm-hmm. who starved herself to death, walled in at the age. You know that you're thinking of uh, Julian of Norwich. Oh, I sorry. This is Saint Catherine. She starved herself to death at the age that Jesus was supposed to have died mm-hmm. by refusing to eat anything but the host. The consecrated host. Yes, there's some spiritual pride, there's there's self-destructive spiritual pride. Spiritual there's pride. spiritual pride there. Right. There, there's an old New Yorker cartoon, which is my theological guide here. It shows two monks walking in the in the cloister, hmm. and one monk says to the other, "But I am holier than thou." <laughs> <laughs> and at the last moment, Satan reaches in and takes his soul. Obviously. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you think about. The Holy Trinity. Yeah, you've got you've got a society there. You do three persons, and they exchange. Right, the Father generates the Son in yeah. classic theology. There's the spiration. They're giving each other gifts. Yeah. So I would ask this question: 
are they giving each other gifts voluntarily or are they giving each other gifts under compulsion? Well, it can't be that any of the Trinity or God taken as a whole is under any compulsion. Precisely. I mean, that surely is the, is the essence of God as understood in, in monotheism. I mean, in Zoroastrianism uh, mm-hmm. and uh, in Christianity, Islam, in Judaism, there's no other God. Right. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. God is one. Right. God is. That's it. Right. Don't right. argue with me. No, that's he, it. no boss. So the three no persons boss. of the Trinity yeah. lovingly exchange of one course. another. And if you read the Gospels, they have sweet talk. This yeah. is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Right. I listen to the Father. Everything that's given to me is given by the Father. It's better that I go away and the Spirit would come. It'll be better mm-hmm. for you. And the Spirit says, Abba, in your heart. And he's the Spirit yeah. of the Son. They're constantly sweet-talking about yeah, one another. And I don't know how you can look at the, that relationship and say, but here on earth, what God really wants is for us to be masters of each other. Well, but that, that's the problem. That's the big problem and the, the big conflict in, in the Bible, in, in, in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament. And before the Civil War, the Southern theologians supporting slavery had the better argument. Because all over, I mean, uh, what is it, Third Timothy, hmm. um, or is, it, is there only one, one, one Timothy? I can't remember. Two. Um, um, uh, it's, it's not certain, actually, that it was written mm-hmm. by St. Paul. But anyway, St. Paul recommends that a slave be sent back to his master. Philemon, you're thinking of Philemon. Oh, it's it's not Timothy at all. It's yes. Philemon. You're so right. you have First and Second Timothy, and then you have Philemon. Philemon. Anesimus, he sends the slave. That's right. Which in Greek means helpful. Yeah. But you know, you read N.T. Wright on that. He starts out his what three thousand pages on Paul, mm-hmm. and he he puts that next to similar correspondence in the Roman world, mm-hmm. and it is shockingly egalitarian in that context. You mean? Uh Paul's, Paul's, Paul's is. Yeah, Paul's saying yeah. he's a brother, I'm a brother. Yeah, yeah, that's Onesimus is your brother. Receive him as a brother. Yeah, right. Now, and whatever he's done, put it on my account, even though you owe me everything. I mean, yeah, Paul yeah. is everything I but. Know. I, know. I mean, I, 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 think, I think there's an argument here that he, you know, he, he didn't want the early Christian church to end like Spartacus. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, right. a, there's a certain prudentialness. Yeah, you I know. suppose you're right. Yeah. I, 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 I was just writing about that passage a couple of days ago, and maybe I'll have to revise it a bit. But in any case, as I said, the slave owners had the better argument, but the abolitionists had the spirit. (laughs) (laughs) The slave owners may have had the law, Mm -hmm. but we had the spirit. The grace. We had the grace. Right, right. And and I I think there's no question about that. Although, you know, it's not until the, the the uh, innovistic bourgeois middle class Protestants turn mm. against the system of slavery. Right. That it starts to starts starts to disappear. Hmm. Hmm. I I look forward to the to the book. Yeah. God in Mammon. Um, by the way, you know which of your books you you'll have trouble guessing this has influenced my day to day life the most. No. The cult of statistical significance. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Because. 
I'm a quant. I'm doing quantitative analysis, yeah, yeah. and you freed me from the slavery uh, to the p-value. I've had I've had other scholars say that to me. Other other um, quantitative intellectuals say that. Oh, you've 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 liberated me. This is I see. I've I've come to McCluskey, not to Jesus, but to McCluskey. And the thing is, as you know from the book, it's not McCluskey. It's a theme that has been repeated over and over again in the last hundred years in statistical theory. Right. And people keep ignoring it. The statisticians have understood. The economists. Some statisticians, not all. Fair enough. Right. Some. Some. uh, uh, Bill. Bill Kruskal was my. Dean at the University of Chicago for a while, and he was in the statistics department. He was the uh, the president of the American Statistical Association, and Bill understood this. Mm-hmm. And his entry into the Encyclopedia of Statistics, which is a subcategory of the Encyclopedia of the Social Sciences, the 1967, is devastating on this point. Mm-hmm. So they knew it, but most of them didn't. When uh, Susan and I sit down with our, our boy Jeremy to do quantitative analysis, we're always looking for the oomph. The oomph. Don't, don't, don't give me a correlation. Don't give me an R-square. Tell me how big it is. Right, right. You'll make more money that way. Right. You'll get the science right, right. that way. Right, You'll know what you're talking about that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so alarmed the way uh, statistical significance has grown in medicine. Yes. Oh, God, it's awful. Yeah, I actually read a lot of medical papers, oh, and it's always p-values. Oh, it's God, statistical significance. And oh, as when I talk to physicians who are kind of the cutting edge of research, who are smart, yeah. they they'll talk more about clinical significance. Of course, is this going to save lives? Of course, not. Can what this get the p-value the gets pr- you published? A low yeah, a low p-value gets I you know, published, but clinical significance and oomph gets you saving lives or, or wealth. Yes. Of course it does. Is there anything you want to, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you thought, you know, this boy or guy, I hope that, I hoped he would ask me this or why didn't he ask me such and such? I, no, 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 no. I think this has been a very fruitful conversation. I've, I've liked it very much. I've enjoyed it you know, immensely. I, I like nothing more than serious intellectual conversation with, I don't mean people who know a lot. Well, then you're very happy here. I'm I'm right in your wheelhouse. If you're you're looking for people who don't know a lot. Oh, come on. (laughs) I can can have, I think, anyone who's serious about intellectual life can have a serious intellectual conversation with, Mm -hmm. say, a Mm five-year-old if you're you're thoughtful about it. Right. Yeah. But I'm not putting you in the five-year-old. <laughs> we're adults here. <laughs> we're, all, we're adults. Adultism, exactly. <laughs> That's the bait and liberate and permission and um, right. innovationism. Leave me alone and I'll make you rich is the yeah. book that's been out for a few months. Um, and that's probably the book that's going to be a interest to most of my listeners, but those who are actually in economics or interested in, interested in economics will also benefit, I, I think, a lot from bettering humanomics. Uh, Professor Deirdre McCloskey, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you. It's been fun. It really has. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts and improve our national conversation by sharing it with some friends.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.